As a reporter who's been around this and following this story and knowing the Mets, how do they become an iconic franchise if a player such as Yamamoto won't take the money and is looking for that iconic franchise already? How does Steve Cohen sort of take his money and get over the hump with that? Well, he would need about a century to uh, duplicate what the Yankees and Dodgers have accomplished. But he can become, uh, he can help, and he and David Stearns and Carlos Mendoza and Francisco Lindor uh, can help the Mets become a desirable franchise now uh, by becoming perennial winners. I just named uh, an ambitious and well-resourced owner, an intelligent president of baseball ops, a, a really promising manager, and a uh, still young face of the franchise. So that's why I chose those guys to name. And they have the ingredients uh, to build up into becoming a perennial championship contender in the short term. They cannot create that iconography. Look, they have a beautiful ballpark. They have a colorful history and in some ways a storied history. Uh, they've won two championships. So uh, it's not like we're talking about the Colorado Rockies here, uh, but they can't ever be the Yankees or the Dodgers in, in that in that way uh, that you're asking. Uh, but they can be a destination that is on the up, up and up, and they can be a destination that current star players want to come to. Unfortunately for them, coming off the year that they just had, it's just not where they're at now, and that's a large part of the reason why they never really had a shot to land Yamamoto, a player who wants to win. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Saturday, December the 23rd, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on X at Mike Silva Media. And you can show up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Sign up for the newsletter, substack.com slash at TalkingMetsNoG. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fansided Podcasting Network, as well as RisingApple.com. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. And as I, I always lie to you, you know what I do lie to you? I always lie to you in one sense. I always say I'm honest with you guys, and I am. But I said the other day, that was it. We're going to wrap up before Christmas. And I thought my worst fear is when we did the, hey, I wanted to step in on the latest with the Yamamoto sweepstakes. So I said to you, watch, I post this thing. What was it? Was it Wednesday morning or Thursday? Well, because he signed late Thursday night. So I think it was Wednesday. And I post that on Wednesday, I think. And I said, this is going to go stale really quick. And it did, as I suspected. But I thought we'd at least get until... Christmas. I thought maybe Tuesday next week is when all this stuff would come down, but thankfully our long national nightmare is over and Yoshinobu Yamamoto has signed and he signed with the Dodgers. So here I am coming to you just uh, a day before Christmas, a couple of days before Christmas to really give you what I normally do and kind of marinate on stuff and, and try to parse through this and try to give you as balanced of a take about where we're at 
as we view this New York Mets club heading into the new year, into 2024. Now, I did my reaction over at the Beyond the Mic newsletter, and it's so uncomfortable for me to do those reactions, not because I don't like doing them, I do, because when I grab those three, four, five-minute reactionary videos, I'm literally, especially on that one, I'm literally coming to you, I just woken up about, you know, 45 minutes earlier, and I saw that he had signed with the Dodgers, and I'm like, okay, what's the reaction going to be? Because that's part of that platform that I've created along with everything else is those reactions which are for paid subscribers, which I think you're entitled to, because just like you, I react at the beginning. And and maybe how you react, think back to when Craig Council, that crazy day when Council got that big contract with the Cubs, and I did the reaction when we were early in the Beyond the Mic creation. It was like this was something new because I usually sit back, let everybody scream and yell and duke it out for about 24 hours. And then I come to you and say, all right, let's let's really look at this thing. Not because I'm doing anything more than trying to provide a rational view of the ball club because there's a lot, a lot of irrational, especially with this whole Yamamoto thing. So thankfully, our long national nightmare is over. And Yamamoto's sign, I think that the way that he was locking up the free agent market was starting to really, and I said this over uh, at Beyond the Mic, uh, I said this, that it's it's almost making hot stove not fun. Now, the goal of the hot stove, which has become a marketed thing for MLB, it was never like this up until the last, I would say, 15, 20 years maybe. You know, this these are business decisions. These are boring contractual negotiations. Baseball in the old days... Just shut down the new offseason. And you would hear a little bit about, well, this trade was made. And if it was a blockbuster trade like the Gary Carter trade, you would find out about it when it happened. I mean, I remember the late Frank Cashin telling me how the Gary Carter trade took a month. And the Expos didn't want anybody to know they were even thinking about trading. Think about how much different it is today. You found out about the Carter trade. All of a sudden, you know, it'll be announced. It's not like that now. It's blow by blow. You're hearing about players going to football games and so on and so forth. So, you know, we're we're in different times now, and, and maybe it's it's like everything else, oversaturation. I do think I started to lose hope early, you know, midday Thursday when I heard about the what turned out to be not totally fake, the news that he was going to the Rams game with Shohei Otani. And when I saw the Yankees come out with their press conference and basically going blow by blow about how they recruited uh, Yamamoto, I was like, well, they're preparing their fans. They're greasing the skids for disappointment. So buckle up. And I had a feeling as things were starting to come out late Thursday night that we were going to hear probably something before Christmas. And uh, so I'm not totally, I guess, surprised that I'm here today. But I think it's important now, like, here's how we're going to, you know, we're going to do two parts because we'll we'll talk about what I'd like to see going forward because things have changed a lot. But I think it's important to put a bow on this whole Yamamoto thing because we learned a lot. We learned a lot about David Stearns and Steve Cohen. We learned a little bit about where the Mets are at and the pecking order. And I think we need to, especially if you're listening to this and you're part of the group of fans that's angry and frustrated and feeling a little bit like it's deja vu all over again. I need to give you some reason to just take a step back at this point. So the Mets, and I think the guy that has and deserves a ton of credit, and I told him, I sent him a, a, a note yesterday. 
I said, you're doing incredible work. Will Salmon of The Athletic, who's been on this show, uh, right now I think has jumped to the top of the heap of Mets beat reporters. And that's no knock at Healy or any of the other guys, Puma. Just top of the heap in terms of perspective and reporting. So if you go to The Athletic yesterday, uh, Salmon was able to procure some good reporting about exactly what happened and how the Mets you know, went into the negotiations, went into the dinner. And what Salmon said is it looks like the Mets finally, instead of just chasing stars and trying to win the offseason with star A, B, C, D, it looks like they're going to be going forward with a much more targeted approach, uh, understanding that not every star is a fit for their club, not every star's contract demands and where they land based on the market that offseason makes sense and makes them the right fit at certain cycles of where you're at in terms of a ball club. And he even went into the dinner, which there's been some debate about how good that dinner went in Connecticut just a week ago and how much time and effort the Mets put in to recruiting Yamamoto. And and if you read this, and I really think if you have an opportunity, and it's called Mets failed to woo Yoshinobu Yamamoto, but their methods could work in the future. Uh, I think you really need to read that article and, you know, do a free trial or something at The Athletic if you haven't, because it shows you how complex recruiting a free agent is and how much goes into it. I mean, at this particular dinner, they, just like you would with any big financial client you're trying to woo to get into the, you know, .72 fund, they focused on where they sat, they gave them concierge, kiss your you-know-what service at at the dinner. You know, even making sure that he was comfortable using the facilities. Uh, they did research on him and what he likes and doesn't like. Turns out he's not a big into analytics. So they talked more philosophical with him. They didn't want to throw Kodai Senga in his face. They made sure that Senga didn't come up unless he brought him up. And in the end, Cohen went out there and said, you know, if I'm going to lose this thing, I'm not going to lose it because of money. He offered him the biggest contract, bigger than... Uh, Jared Cole of the Yankees. And at that point, all Yamamoto had to do was say sign on the dotted line. And he uh he just told the Dodgers, look, this is this is I want to play for you, and I want to play in LA, and the Mets are here, and if you're here like they are, I'm yours. And that's how the cookie crumbles, and that's it. And when you look at from start to finish of what's come out between the trip to Japan to have a personal connection to inviting him to his residence, not just an office in Manhattan or a Zoom call. Uh, All the things that went into it, the targeted approach, the recruitment, understanding about Yamamoto, the plan, having a plan for him, understanding what his desires are and what's important to him during a recruitment process, really no different than recruiting a college basketball player or baseball player. You really can't criticize the Mets process. The Mets know what they're doing. They have a really good, smart owner with a lot of money who has recruited and won over titans in industry, including a couple in this industry, in Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, which I think everybody just wants to disregard. Well, they're over to hell, and and, and they, they, they were desperate. Well, you're thinking that now because you're looking at the version of those guys after the fact. That's not what Scherzer was in the offseason of 2021. And Boris and Scherzer, believe me, weren't, you know, going to just take a meeting with the Mets because they were desperate. The Dodgers were in those things. And the Dodgers have been somewhat dormant because I think the 
exactly what the Mets are trying to do. The Dodgers at their cycle where they were, they were willing to go after guys like Scherzer and Verlander, but not to the level of the Mets. And they and they said, this is what we're going to do, and, and that's it. And to a certain degree, that's what the Yankees did with Yamamoto. Now, I did say, and I stand by this, and I believe this, and maybe you could criticize the Mets on one point on this whole recruitment, that if they were going to get Yamamoto, they had to probably blow away that coal number and be more like 360 to 400. Now, were they willing to do that? We don't know right now. All Cohen said is we left it out on the field. Did they get an opportunity to even pitch and counter with that? We don't know. I think that would have got the job done. Now, is there a value or some kind of algorithm that they put into their computer and, and it spit out, no, that's that's not good? Perhaps. I also want to point out that this contract in general, these kind of contracts for pitchers in general, are dangerous. I know he's 25, and I'm sure he's going to be some quality. I mean, even if he gives you you Darvish-type quality, that's what the market, $30 million a year is what the market's going for elite pitching, top of the rotation pitching, one, two. It's not, you don't have to be Nolan Ryan anymore or Bob Gibson to get that kind of money. You need to be a really good top of the rotation pitcher because there's not enough pitching. So if he's even you, Darvish, he's, you know, and I know you're looking and going, you, Darvish is good, but, you know, he's not Jarrett Cole. No, he's not. But he's an elite top of the rotation pitcher. We're in different times. You have to use different bars to evaluate. So, you know, maybe that's the only criticism. And uh, that's fair. But there's a point where the Mets have to look at the, the risk and say, okay, this is where we'll go for this pitcher. We're making him the highest paid pitcher in the league. And so on and so forth. And it would be interesting because everybody's applauding the Dodgers now for how smart they are for spending. I didn't hear that last offseason around this very same time when the Mets swooped in and stole Carlos Correa after he had a concerning physical with the Giants. So it goes to show the the agendas. Everybody likes bandwagons, especially bandwagons that are in L.A. I mean, look at the NBA and the Lakers and how ESPN covers the Lakers. Look at how the Heat were covered when they were the Heatles with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and things like that. Everybody likes bling. And the Yankees and the Dodgers are going to get a little bit different coverage. And that's 100 years of history and pomp and circumstance and success that they earn. So you can't, you can't criticize that. You can't get mad about that. It's foolish. It's immature. But it's predictable. And all we could do is call them out. I don't think they care because the media in the best of days is tone deaf. And now they're tone deaf and... When they know they're tone deaf, they'll double down on tone deaf. So you're not going to win that battle. Where are the Mets at? And and did the Mets lose this because of the yoke? Because of the fact that they play in a junkyard? Because of the fact that they had a bad 2023? I think that that definitely didn't help. But the way you look at where Yamamoto went and, and how he gravitated towards Otani, I think that Otani ultimately is the difference maker. Now, if Otani wasn't in L.A. and you lined these three teams up, would it have been the Yankees, like everybody said? And they're still going with that narrative. I don't know. Uh, I think when you look at the three organizations without Otani, 
I mean, the Dodgers are still good, but there's issues. Uh, the Yankees are good, but there's issues. The Mets need some work, but people are starting to forget that this is a team that still uh, you know, lost some component offensive players, still have the core offensive players that were part of a 100-win team. They don't have the top of the rotation, or even maybe at this point, because there's some things that have to work themselves out, the depth that helped them win 100 games just a couple of years ago. But the roster is not chopped liver. It's all marketing and perception. So I don't think that, and you know, you heard a little bit about Andy Martino, what he said going into this segment. The Mets didn't lose this all the way because they don't have a history. And they have fits and starts throughout their history. And they're still recovering from the stench of the Wilpons to a certain degree. They didn't lose that 100% on that. They lost that because a guy that he admires, arguably the best player in baseball, certainly the most iconic Japanese player to come to the States ever, plays in L.A. and he wanted to play with him. And he liked the Dodgers. And maybe L.A. is 3,000 miles closer to Japan than New York. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And the things I think that went into him finally making his decision, I don't think the Mets could do a damn thing about. And even if the Mets had come off a 100-win season like they did in 22 last year into this year, I'm not sure it would have made a difference. The Dodgers still have a lot of iconic sway. And they're in L.A. And you, you could talk all about the issues in California, the taxes and the politics and global warming or anything you want to talk about. If you want to, you know, I heard people say, oh, it's 100 degrees and, you know, they're going to, you know, break off into the ocean. I'm not arguing any of this stuff. I'm not getting to any of those conversations because you have good points on both sides on that. What I'm saying is for 
young, wealthy athletes, L.A. is a very desirable place to play. The West Coast and the weather is a very desirable place to play. The East Coast is hard-scrabbled, has hard-scrabbled fans, has horrible winters. They're, they're milder than they used to be. But guess what? Milder because there's a thing, there's a white powder that doesn't come from the sky. And rain and cold and dark and dreary and all the other nonsense that comes with Northeast winters, you know, plays into it, I think. Different type of culture, different type of progressiveness, different, everything different. I mean, it, it, and the, and the foundation is the same in some ways in terms of metropolitan city, but it's different and it's not for everybody and different fan bases, different fan bases. You, if you don't think they're sitting back, these players, and looking at laid back LA, who, you know, I'm sure that there's criticisms and what have you, with a much different media landscape, much different fan landscape. I mean, Yamamoto knew taking this contract, holding up the free agent market the way he did, whether it be the Mets or Yankees, and he is inevitably, and Jim Allen was on this program and talked about him, go back to that show, he said, look, he's, he's going to have adjustments to the league. Uh, imagine this guy taking this contract, and six weeks into the season, he's 3-3 three and three with a, a 4.75 ERA. A couple of really good starts, a couple of not-so-great starts, trying to figure out, just like Senga wasn't, as good. His best 2023 was not April and May. It was after that. It was after Memorial Day, once he finally got comfortable. Think about what would be said. Now, that's going to be said nationally, probably not to the same venom that the local New York media would. But it would be tough. I mean, David Stearns was this coveted, iconic, progressive analytical uh, president of baseball operations slash GM that all you guys wanted. And I've seen nothing. I've seen it in my email feed. I see it on X. I see nothing but people ranting and raving and now suggesting that his whole plan, Cohen, was to bring in a GM that could save him money and provide him value. Now, I have been on those kicks for a long time too. There's a segment of young GMs analytically based that get off, in my opinion, from a business perspective, on getting a dollar's worth of value out of, you know, 35 cents. And and, and you, they build their whole team on that, and they chase that over and over and over again. And they're always spitting things out of the algorithm and say, well, this you know, doesn't compute, this free agent doesn't compute. But I saw the quote by Andrew Friedman, if you're rational about every free agent, you're going to finish third on every free agent, and you're probably going to finish third in the standings. There is a point where that makes sense and doesn't. Again, like I said earlier, based on the cycle of where you're at. Stearns is trying to compete in 2024. Stearns is also looking at a lot of bad payroll. Stearns is already looking back at a recent history of bad contracts. Uh, contracts, some of which were hastily signed. James McCann. Um, decisions on free agents that had to be made because of the desire to win now and, you know, Provide the team winning, a winning environment now while they try to build up and win for the future, like a Max Scherzer, like a Justin Verlander, that were risky and went as quickly as we thought they'd go bad at the end of those deals. They went bad even f quicker, even faster. And he's saying to himself, I'm going to take a different approach. Here's where we're at. We are not at the floor. We're not at this five-year rebuild. And I think this is where, the, where he's at. And if he's not at this point, I'll call him out. 
we have some good good bones, good components. They have a big decision to be made in the next 12 months on Pete Alonso. They have some good core offensive players. They have some interesting offensive young players. Baseball Perspective just put out their top 10 list. What's exciting about that is two of the players in the top 10, Vargas and Rodriguez, were acquired for David Robertson and Tommy Pham. Imagine that if those guys turn out to be big-time pieces to the Mets in the next five years that you basically got them for one-year deal guys, and in the case of Pham, a scrap heap pickup in January. Think about that. Um, they have very interesting offensive pieces in the top five of their uh, prospect list that could help them as soon as this year. Uh, their pitching is very suspect, both in the bullpen and the rotation. Stearns has said, I can build a bullpen of undervalued assets from now until the end of time. Watch me. We'll see. He's been doing that. And starting pitching, you have to see what you have in terms of those prospects and responsibly with the cost and exploding cost of pitching, uh, build out rotation out with some mercenaries, but can't be all mercenaries at the top of the food chain. And that's what he's doing. Now, if he's doing a marketing rebuild and Cohen's doing a marketing rebuild and they're fooling us, I'll call them out. Believe me. But to not sit back, and as I said, and I said this, I said this at the beginning of the offseason when Stearns first took over and we didn't know a damn thing what was going to happen this uh, last 90 days uh, or how 2024 is going to go, how it's a different getting to know you phase, all the things that, you know, I've been saying is we have to sit back and unfortunately the next 12 months is a huge evaluation. And if the Mets in a desire to compete and win can disrupt some people's seasons by making a wild card and advancing around or being in the mix till the end, that's where success is right now. And it's a different type of success than when they came in, the the Coens, uh, after the 2020 pandemic season and needed to show this fan base that new ownership cares and wants to win. So they went out and, you know, very hastily tried to put things together for basically a year. Had a nice, we'll always remember the summer of 2022. It was a fun season. It didn't end well. In a lot of ways, after the Atlanta, what, four out of five, uh, the season was never the same after that August series. But we had a lot of fun. And you were entertained, and that's part of it. And, it, you know, obviously they didn't win a championship, but it wasn't like it was a complete waste. And the Mets tried to double down on something like that, and it didn't work. And now they're realizing, if I keep doubling down and tripling down on bad business practices, I'm going to be in a bad place that perhaps they have to do a five-year tear-it-down rebuild because they're a mess. So they're trying to stem the tide now. They're trying to turn the ship now. And part of turning that ship is the early stages of cleaning up and I think finally biting the bullet and saying, look, when we came in in 2020, November of 2020, we didn't have the luxury of doing a reboot season. And a reboot season in the sense where a New York reboot season where it's not like you're walking into the season and saying they have no shot at making the playoffs. You just don't know how good they could be. And the team has to prove itself in a way to see if there's actually going to be an investment in the club. There's not going to be a blind, we're going to invest in this club and make sure we win at all costs. That had to happen with the 2023 Mets if you kept them together. It wasn't a situation, and that's why the decision was made by Billy Epler. 
the decision was made by Billy Upler to say, okay, you know, this isn't going anywhere. We have two choices. We try to get some component pieces at the deadline, hopefully not for a painful prospect, like what they did the year before with Darren Ruff and Ed Vogelback and Michael Givens, and you know the rest. Or we just say, hey, who's going to take in these two future Hall of Famers and give us some value? It took the Mets spending money to do it. It's absurd they're at the point in the league. The league is always, you know, you start to get these copycats. It's like, well, now the rule is if I give you any value for your free agent prospect, your, your, your big-name player, I got to get some money. And, I mean, look, you know, things have trends and whatnot. Maybe, you know, someone gets desperate and breaks the trend eventually and, and, it, and it goes back to where it was. But, um, you know, that's where they're at. You know, they targeted Yamamoto. I don't necessarily 100% agree about not pivoting to the next tier and I don't think it's going you know everybody sees one and two year deals and freaks out and says hey um, they're not going to sign anybody but these minor league free agents they've been doing that waiting for Yamamoto to make a decision because they had to work the back the offseason backwards I mean you can't sit around and that was always the problem with the Wilpons they sat around doing one thing at a time the league was doing everything else around them playing you know 3D chess and then they were done one way or the other with Yamamoto. Now, okay, now we got to go to move to this. It's like you're in the cash lane, and there's no cash lanes anymore in in uh, tolls. But the old cash lane, while you're standing there, while everyone's zooming past you, an easy pass. The Mets are not in the cash lane. They're in the easy pass lane. They're just trying to do multiple t- multitaskings at once. And they did it in the non-sexy moves. It's pissing you off because while other teams are trading for Juan Soto across town, you know, you're, you're signing... Uh, you know, a minor league free agent. You're signing a, a, a $2 million deal with Jorge Lopez, a uh, potential kerosene on the fire, a high potential lottery ticket out of the bullpen. You know, and it annoys you. So I, I'm not here. I'm not buying into the Stearns Cohen bashing. I think they did an outstanding job recruiting this guy. I think they did an outstanding job if the lack of success and the junkyard around the stadium and you know, Carlos Beltran talked about this in a Spanish interview a couple of weeks ago that was translated on Reddit, where, you know, around the Mets, there's always gossip and drama, whereas around the Yankees, it's just about winning and playing baseball. I don't know if I agree with that 100%. There's plenty of gossip around the Yankees, not as much as the 80s and 90s, but there's always gossip around the Yankees, too, and drama to a certain degree. Um, you know, if that's the case, if that's a big part of what Yamamoto felt about the Mets and Cohen and Stearns going into this, the fact that they were right there at the end, because the Phillies weren't, the Giants weren't, the Blue Jays weren't, or anybody else that has been rumored to be connected, the Cubs, whatever, none of those teams have been part of it. None of them. And I think we'll find out, and I, I don't, you know, I, I obviously he'll be polite about it. I think we'll find out what was important to him along the way. Maybe the Mets got used a little bit and the Yankees got used a little bit. That's part of it. Part of playing in the top end of the market and having the money and the reputation of a Steve Cohen is that you you might have that happen to you. And maybe that's why Cohen didn't want to come out. I mean, he's a good businessman. Why do you want to come out and just blow him away with a, a $400 million offer off the bat? He wanted to negotiate. Probably that would have had a much different impact and put a lot of pressure on the Dodgers. But I also think that you know Cohen's like, if I start getting the reputation of just doing that, everybody's going to come to me and expect that. It's bad. It's bad negotiation for him. So where does that leave the Mets as they pick up the pieces? And, you know, you hear a clip. Jim Duquette was on uh, uh, 
SNY talking about how when they lost out on Mike Hampton and Mike Mussina in the offseason of 2000. And I don't really think they lost out on Mike Mussina. They never really got to the table with Mike Mussina. Mike Mussina wanted to play for the Mets, uh, the Yankees, or the Orioles. As I remember it, you know, I'm just going back quite a number of years. They uh, they lost out on Hampton. And then they pivoted to Kevin Apier, who was a solid number four, number five, but not worth the number two money they were paying him. He hadn't been a number two in about five years. But he was the next best thing on the market, and they overpaid for him. And you don't want to do that. And I think to a certain degree, that's what would happen with Blake Snell. Uh, I'm not sure what to think about Imanaga. They have to use their own algorithm to figure that out. He looks interesting and crafty and... Uh, you know, who knows? At the end, he doesn't have the pomp and circumstance of uh, Yamamoto, but sometimes guys come over like a Karudu, Karuda, uh, and guys like that, uh, and they have really good stuff, and they translate well, and they're quietly, without the pomp and circumstance, as good, if not better. I mean, we've talked about, you know, some of the uh, the top Japanese players that have played the game. Uh, and, you know, we talked about Japanese pitching. And it's not always the Darvishes and guys like that that have the best numbers coming out of Japan, you know, over the, you know, the course. You know, the Daisuke, big pomp and circumstance, had a couple of good years and fizzled out, things like that. I'm not saying that's going to happen to Yamamoto, but I don't, you know, let's not, you know, he's not Nolan Ryan. He, he There would be concerns. We would be expressing concerns if the Mets signed him to a contract. I think the Mets needed to take that chance because it's rare that a 25-year-old is a free agent that that's not going to cost you prospect capital or significant um, draft capital. But that's where you're at. It's very important. You, you know, I don't... You don't feel good because the Mets are on a losing streak. Since the Correa physical of a year ago, they've lost out on Correa. Diaz went down in a heap in the WBC. All the things early in the season with this great veteran team that was supposed to compete and win a championship went wrong. They tore it down at the deadline, got some promising prospects, and that was fun to see, but it's not the spot you wanted to be in. Lost out on the best manager, supposedly on the market in Craig Council, who didn't want to play here, uh, didn't want to be here. Okay, now you lost out. You didn't even get a call or weren't even in the mix for Otani, arguably the best two-way, you know, two-way player, you know, best two-way player since Babe Ruth. You know, the modern-day Babe Ruth didn't even want to talk to you. And now this happened. I can understand you feel horrible. And in between all that, Soto goes to the Yankees because the Mets didn't have a package that the Padres were interested in and that the Mets could afford to give up like the Yankees. We'll see if the Yankees can give up all that pitching. We'll see. It doesn't take one or two starters. You know it takes 10. And between Cole and the rest of the days in the rotation. There's a lot of baseball to be played, and there's a lot of games that could turn a, a cold gem into a three-game losing streak before he even takes the mound the next time. Same thing could happen to the Mets right now. They got a lot of ifs in that rotation. So, I don't think you should walk away from this feeling happy. That's not what I'm saying. It's frustrating. The Mets are at a point where, you know, the yoke is there, but I think they're doing a damn good job in recruiting players to the family, so to speak. They do have to start to win to get players to come here. But I don't think that was the case with this guy. I think everybody knows an owner who spends, who's in New York, who has shown an affinity to spending, this thing's going to get better. They didn't have Otani. They didn't have Sunshine. They didn't have L.A. They didn't have those things that he wanted. 
The Yankees didn't get him. And it didn't sound like he was all that close to going to the Yankees. I mean, this idea that the Mets were third, I don't know about that. Yankees pitched him pinstripes. And I don't know. It sounded like he wanted something a little bit more modern. Pitching pinstripes works. I don't know if it's working. You know, Guys today, it's just different. Players today, it's just different. You have to kind of provide a modern sexiness to your brand to really recruit these guys. You know, when the Celtics become good, you think they pitch Larry Bird anymore? I mean, I know Riley goes around with the rings and everything, but he's still a relevant current presence. You don't pitch Red Orbach when you're recruiting someone to the Boston Celtics. You're you're pitching, yes, the Celtics have traditionally been this iconic franchise, but here's where we're at now. Yankees brand right now, they had a consultant in the last couple of months to clean things up. Brian Cashman was being taken to task by the media like never before, just eight weeks ago. And the Mets, they're trying to figure things out. They're trying to figure out how to be a sustainable winner. And they desperately need a pipeline of homegrown, I'm not saying it has to be stars like Yamamoto, but homegrown players in the back of the rotation, the bullpen, you know, maybe a component outfielder, maybe even a borderline all-star. You know, maybe that's what Kuna and Gilbert are that could complement the stars and the stars that you want to import. You just can't do it all. You can't have every Tommy Pham and Mark Canna be your component left fielder at a high cost. You have to have component players. Look at what Stearns did in the Milwaukee trade. He brought in a guy that makes a fraction of what Michael Taylor, who's a a solid free agent, but he's a component free agent. And, uh, you know, he's going to play the same role at a fraction of the cost. Those are the kind of players that eventually the Mets have to just pluck from Syracuse or Binghamton, not from the Brewers for a lottery ticket Tommy John player. You want to hold on to those lottery ticket Tommy John players if you can. So that's where you're at with Stearns, and you have to make 20, you have to be patient. Talk to me in six months if we don't like what we see and if we're being bamboozled and if he's way too conservative with his approach. Talk to me in a year. At this time next year, we'll see where the Mets are at. There are free agents next year. Not much, but there are. You know, you have a Zach Wheeler that's going to be out there. You know, and when we take a break and come back, you know, you're going to see how complicated starting pitching is for the New York Mets. That's why it's critically important to develop it. Critically. What's left? You know, you have Ryu, who's interesting. You got Sean Manaya. You got Mike Clevenger. Lucas Giolito, eh, I think he's going to get overpaid. James Paxton, always hurt. Frankie Montes. I mean, you could get a couple of starters on one-year deals to maybe reclimate them, do what the Royals are doing. The Royals are doing a little bit differently. They're, they're getting more guaranteed. You know, they may only get six innings, three runs out of some of the guys that they signed, the guys like Lugo and Waka and things like that. But there's maybe a little bit more upside and guarantee. The, the floor and the upside is a little different than... You know, Montes, who has decent upside, but the floor could be really bad. And I know what you're saying. You didn't want these guys when they were available, but it's different now. You know, trading for Montes, who I thought was overrated, uh, or a Manaya, who I thought was overrated, top prospect capital, I wasn't interested in that. They made the right trade for the right Oakland arm. That was Bassett. I told you that, guys, many times a couple of years back when I hadn't really even seen all three of them. I just looked at, you know, I didn't see, you don't watch a lot of West Coast American League baseball here. I, at least I don't. 
And I saw three numbers, and I looked at him like, oh, this, this Bassett is the best of the group. And it turned out he was better than I even thought when he came here. And that's a big blow, too, not having him. He'd be a nice uh, arm to have. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, plan B, what's next? We're going to talk about starting pitching and how hard it's going to be to clean up this rotation and how it's critically important for the Mets this year to develop something out of that group of starters. What are some of the starters I'm looking at? I need to develop it out a little bit more because now you're kind of picking up the pieces. It was all about Yamamoto and the big three of Yamamoto, Senga, and then Quintana kind of being that crafty veteran. Now it's it's Senga's team. It's Senga's rotation. Here we are a year later where I bashed the Senga signing over Bassett, had no uh, interest in and seeing a guy who I thought walked too many batters and would would probably be, at best, a fourth or fifth starter. It is now his rotation, for now. And he's going to lead this rotation. He has an opportunity to take a really good second half or three-quarters of a season. And, um, you know, maybe without the pomp and circumstance of a Yamamoto or a Daisuke or a Darvish when he came over, or even a Tanaka with the Yankees. Uh, have the same kind of impact that a Tanaka or a Darvish had with their clubs. And, uh, you know, he's 30 years old. He's He knows how to pitch a little bit. He's gone through the ringer uh, for a short time here in MLB, unlike Yamamoto. Maybe he'll surprise us. So we have a lot to talk about. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.